Welcome to Backrooms Pod. My name is Laurel. And I'm Nishka. Welcome back to our second episode. We're so glad to have you guys here. And in this episode, we are talking about distracted and impaired driving with a very special guest. We have Carol from SAD. Hello. Nice to be here with you, ladies. And Carol, could you tell us a little bit about what SAD is? Yes. So SAD is Students Against Destructive Decisions. We're a 42-year-old nonprofit. We were originally founded as Students Against Driving Drunk, um, which was founded out of tragedy. Uh, A group of high school students had lost several friends due to drunk driving, and they and the families that were impacted decided something needed to be done to address the drunk driving concerns. So we were founded as Students Against Driving Drunk. Um, But it was our student leaders, we've always been youth-led peer prevention, but it was our student leaders that drove us, pun intended, um, drove us to a name change of Students Against Destructive Decisions to be a much broader health, safety, wellness focus. So, of course, we still focus on impaired driving as a whole, but we also focus on mental health and wellness, and now distracted driving is such a concern. Uh, so there are all kinds of things for us to focus on. Right. I know distracted driving, just I guess people being bad drivers is kind of a concern, especially for teenagers, because like I got my temps just a couple of weeks ago. Um, I got mine relatively late. I'm 17. But I think at the, when I was like 15 and a half, I was definitely not ready to be on the roads. Um, I think it's a lot of responsibility. We just kind of give out to 15 and a half year olds without that much, I guess, discretion. Mm-hmm. And, you know, as long as you can pass the test you are completely able to just operate this two-ton vehicle on the streets, which is a little bit of a concern to me sometimes. Yeah, so I'm really curious to know what caused you to wait. So at first, like, my parents just didn't want me driving, which I understand. But at the same time, I feel like, especially, like, living in the suburbs, it's so car-dependent that it feels like you need to drive to go anywhere. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so that's a very unique thing about here in the United States is that we don't have as much reliable mass transit to transport people. So um, young people kind of have to Mm -hmm. start driving at a young age and parents are very focused on, they want to give them that independence, but at the same time, a lot of young people are nervous, right? They're scared, but they're afraid to tell their parents and even more afraid to admit it to their friends, that they're nervous to get behind the wheel, that it it can scare them, right? So I like to use this analogy um, for anybody to think about this. So this, this, the statistics say that the it takes the average person about five years to be an experienced driver, mm-hmm. right? About five years. Mm-hmm. Now apply that to sports or playing a musical instrument, right? When you first start, you're really bad. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Right? You're really bad. But what does it take for you to get better? Just a lot of practice. A lot of practice. Do you also get some instruction? Mm -hmm, Definitely. Some good instruction, right? Because if you don't get good instruction, you could be practicing a lot of bad habits. Right. Mm -hmm. So that's why it's so important, especially for young people, to get good instruction behind Mm -hmm. the wheel. So I can't say enough about the importance of good instruction There are a lot of young people now that are waiting until after the age 18 
because it doesn't require instruction to mm-hmm. get their driver's license. And now we've got a lot of people on the roads that are practicing bad habits behind the wheel without any instruction. So first and foremost, really good instruction. But as you mentioned, lots of practice. And unfortunately, lots of practice for an automobile, for a vehicle, means you're on the road with a lot of other people. Lots of practice with an instrument, you're probably safe in your home or safe in your school, right? Right. You can practice all you want without risk of injury. Maybe to the ears, but besides that. (laughs) Yeah, maybe to your parents' ears or even your own, right? As you're practicing and getting better. But think about that. That five-year time frame, right. you need lots of practice. So any time that you can get some good practice, some good instruction, some good coaching, where you're not around a lot of other people is a good thing. Mm-hmm. So one of the things I like to recommend, especially in the first year of driving, is to find parking lots or other places where you can practice things like maneuverability. So you see, especially for driving schools, like they set up the cones, mm-hmm. right? And you're back and back and forth between the cones and, and, and doing some other things. Um, that's super important to do. But also when it snows, have your parents take you to a parking lot and accelerate a little bit and apply your brakes. Learn how those ABS brakes work. Mm-hmm. Feel the way your car feels. Feel the way your tires feel on a slick condition. Same thing in the fall, where there are lots of leaves on the ground and it's wet, same kind of slippery conditions. So learn how your vehicle operates, right? Get that practice in. Um, Another great resource I have found, there are a number of different, uh, I don't know if they call them schools, but Ford Motor Company does driving skills for life. Uh, there are a couple of other different ones. My favorite one is called the Tire Rack Street Survival Program. Um, they have a big parking lot where you get some classroom instruction, but then you also get some obstacle course experience with a trained coach in your vehicle sitting next to you. So I like that because it's the experience in your own vehicle. So they're helping you maneuver the cones and feel what it feels like for your vehicle to shift. They're having you drive around in circles on cracked corn and seeing what it's like for your car to shift, right? They're helping you to speed up really fast and hit your brakes so you know what your car feels like when it breaks, all under close instruction by that coach. Not your parents. <laughs> your parents aren't going to want you to do a lot of speeding up, right, and braking. But these trained coaches are super good. I have watched young people who are nervous behind the wheel come in in the morning, nervous as anything, and by the end of the day, they have a ton more confidence. I can't say enough about those types of experiences to help you get that training and education. So going back to that point about like students waiting till they're 18 when you don't have to take those required classes, mm-hmm. I have so many friends who are like, oh, we'll train 18 this winter or we'll train 18 this summer and we don't need to take those classes. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the reasons is that those classes are like $600, $700, right? Yep. And I agree that like the like 
instructional aspect of that is super important but like a lot of the time it just isn't feasible for students and it's only like eight hours of practice like yeah four days maybe and they have to spend over six seven hundred dollars you know yeah well I will say you get what you pay for Mm -hmm. and that's the unfortunate thing right I will tell you that these driving instructors are worth every penny of that truly because they are giving a lot of guidance. It may sound like only four hours, only or eight hours, only eight hours with your parents is way different than only eight hours with a driving instructor who's Mm -hmm. trained and skilled and knowledgeable to pick up on little things that you're doing and help make that course correction to help you to be a better driver, right? So, if you absolutely cannot afford driver's ed, and again, I want to emphasize the importance of driver's ed, but if you absolutely cannot mm-hmm. afford it and you're going to wait till you're 18, there's a really great resource um, founded by a race car driver. Um, mm-hmm. Race car driver Andy Pilgrim uh, has founded the Traffic Safety Education Foundation. And you can look them up on YouTube. He has amazing instructional videos. They're not super long. You can go through them one at a time or sit and do them all at once. But he shows you what it's like from his vantage point as a race car driver as you're coming up on various scenes and looking for different signs and signals, what you should be paying attention to so that you are aware, not just that you're not creating a crash, but that you are also anticipating what could be happening on around you to completely avoid a crash. Fantastic videos. I can't say enough about them. Wow, that's like an incredible resource. I was definitely like thinking of that because a lot of parents are just like afraid of having their students out there and just like afraid of even the cost of that. They're like, oh, what's the point? But I think like stressing that there are resources just to take the precautions, even if you can't afford, are like is really valuable yeah I think there's a lot of emphasis on having like parents be basically your primary driving teachers Mm -hmm. here which is kind of interesting I guess because sometimes I'm behind the wheel and my mom's like sitting next to me and I have to remind myself that even though like I'm learning to drive for the first time she's learning how to teach me how to drive for the first time as well so sometimes maybe like she's a good driver like I trust her completely but she's not necessarily the best teacher and so sometimes like the first time I got into a car, she was, like, trying to figure out, remember, like, where the blinker signals were and, like, on what side. And she couldn't do it. And I was like, why? Like, you do this every day. But she just couldn't, like, make it work in her mind when she wasn't sitting in front of the wheel. So it is, like, important to get, like, instruction just from anyone outside of your parents, someone who's very, like, trained and skilled in knowing, like, how to teach people how to drive. Because just knowing how to drive yourself doesn't necessarily make you a good teacher. Just the same way as any knowing how to do any skill well is not the same as, like, being good at teaching and being able to tell people how to do it. Absolutely. Um, And I will tell you there is another great resource. So SAD partnered with the National Road Safety Foundation, NRSF. We have created a resource called the Passport to Safe Driving. And we have all the topics online on sad.org, S-A-D-D.org. Uh, you can go and find the Passport to Safe Driving on there. There are 12 different topics. And the 12 different topic range from left turns to driving at night to maneuvering a roundabout to picking a driving school. And then the most recent one is on marijuana. 
and its effects. The cool thing about these topic cards or these topics is that we have both um, tips for teens, but then we also have a spot for talking points for parents. So it gives parents some talking points on those different topics to help work with their young driver to help them learn better. So that's another resource. I would say the Pass Course to Save Driving and uh, the Traffic Safety Education Foundation, two incredible resources that you could use without having to pay for driving instruction. But I will emphasize again, <laughs> driving instruction, very, right. very valuable. <laughs> so you mentioned something in your Passport to Driving that they emphasize like the use or like the impacts of marijuana. Mm -hmm. You know, as someone who's like grown up, I've always known that obviously drunk driving is bad, like a DUI. That's something very clear, you know, even in like movies and TV shows, like just drunk driving is bad. But like as marijuana is coming, like, you know, more and more into play and more people my age are starting to experiment with that. Like what really are the effects? Because honestly, like I don't know how bad it is or like if you can drive, because I know people say they can drive while they're smoking, like, you know, like cigarettes or something. But like how does marijuana come into play, you know? Well, it would take a lot of time to go into the full depth about marijuana and its impairment, particularly on the young driver, uh, because the, the effects of marijuana on the developing teenage brain are very different than the effects of marijuana on a, a fully developed brain. So I'm going to say that right off, right? So there are some parents that think, well, I'm okay to drive, so it's fine for my young person. Well, the developing brain responds very, very differently to drugs like marijuana. Marijuana is a drug. Um, we have a whole curriculum, actually. It's called uh, Shifting Gears, The Blunt Truth About Marijuana <laughs> and Driving. I love that, right? I like the puns. I, I love the good <laughs> play good. on words, The Blunt Truth. And we go through the science and the statistics. What I will tell you is that in every state where marijuana has been legalized, the number of fatal crashes and crashes as a whole has skyrocketed. So I'll give you specifics for Ohio. In 2021, there were 292 fatal crashes in Ohio with active THC in the driver. Right? And THC, to clarify, is marijuana, right? Tetrahydrocannabinol. Okay, it yeah. is the it is the, yeah. the psychoactive um, portion of marijuana, right? The THC. Mm -hmm. um, and part of the challenge is we don't know the levels of THC and a lot of different products, right? People think it's okay. I'm just vaping it. It doesn't affect anybody else. Huh. Well, it can affect someone else. So I've had some young people say to me, I want you to share that THC, that marijuana has never hurt anybody. Well, I can't legitimately say that because I know in Ohio in 2021, there were 292 fatal crashes with active THC in someone's system. That's actually three, almost three times the next drug. Wow. THC is the number... Uh, is the number one drug. It's a real problem in Ohio. And we only have it legalized for medical purposes. Mm -hmm. This is why you hear a lot of organizations that are very much anti-recreational marijuana. Because what we know from Colorado and Washington State and other places is that when it was recreationally legalized, their crash numbers went through the roof. And so we're concerned for everyone on the roads, 
because people will, it's not like the alcohol of old, mm-hmm. right? Where it was impaired driving was pretty much drunk driving. Right. And you were mostly going to run into that if you were out late at night. Mm-hmm. So you stayed off the road. You had more likelihood to stay safe. Now you've got drugs like marijuana where people are on the roads at all hours of the day. Are there any like legislative or like laws against active marijuana use while driving the same way with alcohol? Or is that just not something we've addressed yet? No, it's it's absolutely illegal to drive impaired in all 50 states. Okay. Period. Impaired driving is impaired driving. Whether it's prescription drugs, mm-hmm. alcohol, marijuana, opioids, whatever it might be, impaired driving is illegal. Period. That's actually crazy because as someone who's taken driver's ed before and just like been around people, I didn't know that like it was like a thing or like a law. Obviously, I know not to drink and drive. I know not to do these things. But like the legality of it, something like even I think people in my high school don't know. You know, I've heard people like, oh, yeah, I'm going to go like do weed in my car and just drive around. But people don't know that like because they just think if I'm not going to get caught, there's no issue to that. You know? Yeah. No, it's a big deal. And I think there's a lot of emphasis just specifically with weed where people are like, oh, it's not harmful. Like it doesn't, mm-hmm. there's no harm in it. Like it won't actually change my brain or anything serious. So people think that it's also safe for me to go out and drive and be on the roads because it's not the same thing as like drinking where I might actively feel like I'm not in control, control or something like that. Yeah. So there are a ton of misconceptions about weed. Like, for example, um, it makes me a safer driver because I'm more calm. Well, let's face it. There's a lot of attention that needs to be paid in order to drive safely. In order to get from point A to point B without being in a crash, you really need to pay attention. It's And it's not just weed. I mean, it's distracted driving. It's all of it. You need to be fully focused and just drive because there are plenty of other people that are out there not paying attention or their reaction times. You know, they say, oh, I I drive much more calm. I'm much slower. Well, slower isn't necessarily a better driver because your reaction time Mm -hmm. is impaired and you can't respond as quickly. What are the other effects of like marijuana on the brain for someone who's about to drive? So um, there are three big things, um, mood, memory, and motivation are the, the three biggest things, areas in the brain that are affected by um, THC. So especially important, as I mentioned, about the developing teenage brain, because when you are affecting your mood, your memory, and your motivation, you may not be motivated to do your schoolwork mm-hmm. or to do that homework. Um, your memory might not be so good, so you might not do as well on tests. Your mood I mean, we all know mm-hmm. mood, right? It right. can affect us at any time. Mm-hmm. But same thing behind the wheel. So mood, memory, and motivation, super important to just function well as a human, period, but also to function well as a human behind the wheel. We need all those things. We need to remember, oh, I need to do this, or, oh, this intersection up here, there are a lot of crashes that happen there. I need to be more alert. I need to pay closer attention. Yeah. Yeah. You know, we've talked about like kind of like um, alcohol and marijuana, but like what other types of impaired driving are there? Maybe ones that we don't know that are actually like impairing us. Yeah. So I love that question. 
because when I do presentations, uh, I do a presentation called Destructive Driving Decisions. <laughs> and we talk about the four Ds, right? So can you help? I'm going to ask you guys, I'm going to quiz you on this. What do you think the four Ds are? What, what could be some of the most destructive things? Drunk driving. Drunk driving. Oh. And marijuana would be? Oh, drugs. Drug Dr- driving. Okay. And we've already mentioned one of the other Ds. Distress? I don't know, like mm-hmm. Oh, uh, your phone, texting. Distracted driving. Drunk, drugged, or and distracted. distracted. But the fourth D is the little known D. Drowsy. Drowsy, drowsy Ooh, driving, okay. right? So a lot of us don't think about drowsy driving as impairment. Uh-huh. But what I will tell you is that they've done studies that show if you go more than 25 hours without sleeping, the effect on the brain cognitively is equal to that of somebody with a 0.08 blood alcohol level. Oh, wow. Like a drunk driver, right? So drowsy driving is another form of impairment because your brain is not fully engaged in the task of driving. I'm sure you can recall a time when you were like, oh, I don't know, or maybe you've seen your parent a little sleepy, mm-hmm, right? right? And nodding off a little bit. That's super dangerous behind the wheel and is another form of impairment because it's a cognitive impairment. That's definitely a concern that I had and my parents had about me driving to school because I know there are always, I feel like there's a crash from like students every single month. And I just feel like I'm so not awake in the mornings. Mm-hmm. I don't wake up till like 10 a.m. Sure. So I just don't feel like I would be safe going into school with like hundreds of other drivers just pouring in from all directions. Right. And it feels crazy that this is just like an expected thing about I'm going to get my license and then I'm going to start driving to school right after I wake up in the mornings. It's dangerous. For sure. I love that you have that sense about you. And I wish that more that that more young people would have that sense about them to know that "Mm, this just isn't the safest choice for me to make. And really, that's what our organization is about. We're wanting young people to make safe, good, healthy choices so that you can have a long, healthy, prosperous, contributory life. You know, we talk a lot about fatalities in crashes. What we tend not to look at a lot and what's more impactful are those serious injury crashes where somebody is either mentally incapacitated or physically incapacitated to be able to live the life that they had planned to live going forward. That's actually just as devastating as those who lose their life, but needs a lot of focus because there are far more of those people Mm -hmm. than there are the ones that are losing their life. And really, both are losing their lives. Just one gets to continue living a life lost and one just never sees it. Yeah. And I think like going back to like people making the choice whether or whether or not to drive, like I've seen it myself. There's just a lot of peer pressure on like being driving, like being able to drive. Like I'm a junior, but a lot of like sophomores that I'm friends with who have their license are like, we're younger than you. We have your license. Go out and get oh, yours. I've heard that so many times. Yeah. yeah. You, you know, right. you should get yours or we're this far. How are you not this far? You're older than me. And it's like, you want to be able to like be compete, not compete with them, but you know what I mean? Be in the same social groups, be able to drive to things. And it's like, you know, how do we like talk to kids about just like making better choices under that peer pressure that they need to drive or the driving something essential? 
So, um, you know, that that's a real challenge, right? I think that's where you need to kind of, for lack of a better word, um, find your tribe, right? Mm -hmm. Find your group of people that are like-minded um, or that are completely accepting of the fact that you've chosen to wait, uh, you know, that you don't have to drink to have fun, that you don't have to drive to have fun, mm-hmm. right? Those, those all kinds of things. So that's part of, and I hate to go directly back to that, but that's really part of what our organization is about is helping to equip young people to truly be who they are and then to encourage others to do the same and to be safe. That's really what we want. We want to see you all encouraged and empowered and making good decisions. If only more young people would recognize that, oh, some of the decisions we're making are not so safe. For example, I personally have sat outside when schools let out and counted how many people wear their seatbelts in the front seat. You guys are in the 90 percentile range. But what I don't love seeing are all the people on their phones. Mm. so many on their phones. And I will tell you, it's not just the students. It's the parents too. And what parents don't realize is you can't tell your student, hey, look, when you first get your license, the graduated driver's licensing laws, the GDL, says you can't have a phone. It's illegal for you. But it's okay for me, so I'm going to use mine. And new laws now, guess what? New primary law Parents can't do it either. But what they don't realize is from the moment that a car seat comes forward facing is the moment that young person starts watching your driving behaviors and you are the biggest influence on whether or not they're going to be a good driver. And it's not when you go to get behind the wheel. It's all the time before that. So if you are spending a lot of time on your phone while you're driving, changing the music, taking your hands off the wheel to change music, to mess with other things, to reach for water bottles, Mm -hmm. whatever it might be, you are modeling that behavior for that young person. So they think that's the way that you drive. Yeah. When what you need to be doing is having your eyes on the road, your hands on the wheel and your mind on driving at all times. I feel like it's just a big issue because people think like, oh, I can just pick up my phone, just check my texts really quick, and then I'll be at the red light, and then once the light turns green, I'll put down, and then, you know, mine on the road, I'll be a good driver, and it's just one, like, it's like just going to take five seconds, like, it's fine, but... But it takes, on average, about 20 seconds for your mind to re-engage after you put the phone down, so if you haven't put that phone down and allowed yourself enough time for your brain to switch back and re-engage into driving before the light turns green, then you're truly not focused on driving. So you're better off just not checking it. Or if you need to check it, pull off. Mm -hmm. Just pull off. Pull off, check it, do what you need to do and drive on. If it's only going to take you five seconds, then just pull off for five or ten seconds. Be safe. Yeah. Your phone doesn't need to be checked. Right. At all. I will tell you the other thing, my husband and I have a rule that when either one of us is leaving someplace, we send a quick text and we say, I'm leaving. That way I know, okay, he's got a 35 minute drive home. If it's two hours and I don't see him, then I need to be concerned. But I'm not trying to call him while he's potentially on the road and say, hey, where are you? Are you on your way home? Mm -hmm. Like, what time should I start dinner? 
We don't want that. We don't want that distraction. So to have a plan in place so that you know, when I do the destructive driving decisions presentation, one of the things that I do is I share an example. So I'll say, okay, let's, let's use this example. And this is regarding your cognitive focus. So your phone rings and you see it's mom. Mm-hmm. You know, if you don't answer that phone, mom's going to keep calling. So you say, okay, I'm going to answer. You answer the phone. Hey, mom, what's up? Hey, hon, are you on your way home? Yep. Okay. We need milk, egg, and bread. Milk, eggs, and bread. Can you get that for me? Yeah, sure, mom. Okay, bye. See you soon. Bye. Now, other scenario. You answer the phone. Hey, mom, what's up? (laughs) What happens to you on the other end? You're freaked out. You're freaking out. You're panicked. Mom said, Grandma's had a heart attack. You need to get to the hospital. Now what happens to your driving? Plummets. You you can't focus at all. You can't focus. You're probably going to speed, right? Your emotions are everywhere. Your brain is thinking about, oh my God, what if this is the last time I see my grandma? You could have tears filling your eyes to the point where you can't even see Mm -hmm. out your windshield very dangerous situation. So my recommendation to all parents is have something set up with your young person. If you really need to get a hold of them in a situation like that, you send up you have some sort of signal. You send a 911. You call once and hang up, let it ring and then you call back. And then they are signaled to pull off the road and call you. That way, they're not driving and getting into this crazy emotional stance. Mm -hmm. There are lots of little things that we can do to make sure that our loved ones are safe. And that I think it's one of the biggest fears, honestly, for parents, that when their young person gets their license, that they're not going to come home. Legitimately so, because the number one cause of unintentional preventable death for teens is traffic crashes. People don't realize that. It's number one. It's bigger than anything else. And I believe that's what fuels a lot of the fear for parents, justifiably so. What can, you know, what are maybe your tips for people who are like just getting their temps, getting into their license and to parents, like what strategies can they put in place to, you know, make sure that you're safe when you're on the road and just tips to like teach you to be a safe driver from the get go. Like what are some of these? Yeah. So some of my tips, first of all, always, always, always wear a seatbelt. <laughs> Every single time you get in your vehicle, it needs to be habit. Put your seatbelt on first and foremost. That will present that will prevent a lot of injuries and fatalities. Number one. Um, number two, I would say for parents and for young people, sit down and create an agreement. These are the expectations. When you're first starting, it might be your first month, maybe two months, three months. There should be limited driving privileges. To school and back might be it. You are not allowed anybody else in the car with you. The number one distraction for teens, do you know what the number one distraction for new teen drivers is in a vehicle? A friend in the car? It's other teens. That's why the graduated driver's licensing or GDL laws exist. 
And one of those laws is you cannot have more than one non-family member in the vehicle with you mm-hmm. in your first year of driving under the age of 18. After that first year, still under age 18, you can have as many people as there are seatbelts. That tells you something, right? Yep. Everybody should be buckled up, front seat and back. So I go going back to the, the game plan. So put sit down, parents and young drivers, sit down, put together a fair and reasonable game plan of what essentially are the privileges and steps that you can take to ensure that you're going to be the safest possible. So only driving to and from school, only driving during daylight hours, right? Next step after you go from there, okay, maybe it might be a little bit longer drives. Maybe you might drive at dusk. Maybe you might have a friend that's allowed in the vehicle with you and allow that to be for a month or two or three as you get some experience. Next step, maybe you might go out on a highway. You might save that for the last step, right? Um, Because highway driving is very different than in the neighborhood and on the roads, right? You might take a little bit longer drive and gradually step it up and together work out a good game plan that says, okay, I'm gonna learn how to be a good driver. There are plenty of resources online Um, Ford Driving Skills for Life has a checklist. Uh, I think of Children's Hospital of Philadelphia, CHIP. They have a really good teen driver checklist that you can go to. Um, As far as, uh, actually my prior job, I worked for the Safety Council of Southwestern Ohio. So you can go to their website, Safety Council of Southwestern Ohio, and click on the On the Road and there's a whole resource page for two new and teen drivers that somebody can go to and see all these different sites from places like CHIP and the National Road Safety Foundation and AAA and others. So I gathered this conglomeration and put it together in a nice document that helped provide resources. What's missing from that, which I didn't learn about till I came with SAD, is the Traffic Safety Education Foundation. I had not heard of that before. Um, but I, again, I can't express enough how good those videos are for helping you understand how you should approach different scenarios when you're driving. Yeah, I think it's just so, sometimes it's really, really crazy to me, just like that, once you turn like 15 and a half, 16, and you can get your license, you just basically, if you don't set like these rules, these boundaries, sometimes you literally just have access to do kind of whatever you want on the road. Go yeah. wherever you want. Right. It's whenever scary, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Yeah. And I hate to be Miss Doom and Gloom, but it's the reason why traffic crashes are the leading cause of unintentional preventable death for teens. Mm -hmm. Because we have all these people out there without instruction, doing whatever they want, not wearing their seatbelts, clowning around. I I could share with you video after video, story after story. Um, I think, for example, about drowsy driving. Young man out of California, Sebastian. If you look up Sebastian's story on Impact Teen Drivers, they're really great. Um, they've got a lot of videos, actually. But Sebastian's story that talks about drowsy driving. And Sebastian was really tired. He ended up killing this young woman. And it totally impacted his life. Mm-hmm. Completely. He doesn't want to get behind the wheel of a car again. So it changed his life forever. 
He didn't set out that day to kill somebody. He was a really good kid. You know, what are things we can do just as teenagers? Like if we, you know, unfortunately, you know, we never hope it happens. But if one day we get into a crash or we get into an accident, what do we do? And like, how do we handle that sort of situation? Because I don't think even in driver's ed, we're really taught what to do in case something bad happens. It's all preventative. But, you know, you never know what happens. Someone can run into you. You can make a mistake. What do we do then? You know, the very first thing you should do is call 911. Always. Always call 911. Right. Um, now, hopefully you have your seatbelt on, <laughs> uh, and you're able then to get out of the vehicle. Now, depending on what situation you're in, make sure that you're safe. In some situations, you are safer to stay in the vehicle. In some situations, if there's a safe place to go, get out of the vehicle and get away from it so that you can be in a much safer place often and close, you know, often a grassy area or away from the vehicle. So if it were to get hit by another, right, you always want to get your vehicle into a safer space. 911 first, then call your parents. Don't call your parents first and then call 911. 911, tell them where you are, describe the situation as best as you can. Um, you should always be exchanging information with any other driver. So their insurance information, their name, write down their license plate. If And it's hard because you're in this like, oh my God, what just happened? But try to take some deep breaths and focus and say, okay, this has happened. We need to move forward. Get their information. Inspect your vehicle. Inspect their vehicle. Take notes. Take pictures if you can. Anything you can do to help document is going to assist you. But number one, first and foremost, is your safety. Don't be going around the vehicle taking pictures while cars are flying by you. Not safe. Wait for an officer to get there if that's the case. But where you can get your vehicle off to safety, if it's, if it's drivable and you can both agree, pull off, get out of the roadway so you're not blocking traffic, that's always a good thing to do. Um, you know, this... The truth of the matter is 93% of new drivers are in a crash within the first three years of driving. Oh, wow. 93%. So you need to be prepared for that. It's like, that's such a crazy stat because it feels like, why do we even let people on the road if that's like, that's the failure rate that we have, I guess. Not necessarily failure, but like, if that's the crash rate that we're experiencing, 93% of people are in a crash. Like... Now that could right. be a that could be a fender bender, right? Right, a small crash. Um, but I would even say, and that's that number is from years ago. Mm -hmm. I'd be willing to bet that the number might be higher now. Here's because of all the distractions and speed levels are so high now. Um, Pre-pandemic speed was an issue, of course, but when the pandemic happened and there were less cars on the road, speed went up cars on the road went down. But as cars on the road came back up to normal, speed didn't come back down. Speed has stayed up. So now we have more traffic and higher speeds, which is a dangerous combination. The other thing that's a real issue that I think not a lot of young people realize is you need to give other vehicles space. Because the number one crash is 
not leaving an assured, clear distance. Mm -hmm. You're not leaving enough room to react. So if that vehicle up there has a deer run out in front of it, you don't see that and you're close on their tail and they have to stop quick, you're going to hit them in a heartbeat. But if you've given enough space and distance, then you're okay. The rule of thumb is you should give three to five seconds distance between you and the vehicle in front of you. So what does that mean? If you're driving down the road, find a stationary object, a pole, a fence post, something. And from where their bumper passes that fence post, you should be able to count one, one thousand, two, one thousand, three, one thousand. Better if you can go to five, one thousand, but as long minimum one, one thousand, two, one thousand, three, one thousand. That should be what you hit before you personally pass that stationary object. Then you know you've given enough space. Three second rule for like urban, suburban roadways, but at higher speeds, you need to leave more distance. And what we find on the highways is a lot of times the reason why there are so many crashes, high rate of speed, low shirt, a shirt clear distance. Yeah, leave space. Give people space. Have you ever had somebody walk up behind you in the hallway of school and like we're so close to you, yeah. they were going to run you over? All the time. No. Like sardines. <laughs> right? If you're the one in a hurry and somebody in front of you isn't moving, by being up on top of them, does that make them move any faster? Nope. So why do we think it will in a car? That if we move up on somebody's tail that they're going to move faster? Yeah. They're not. They're not going to move faster. In fact, what it might do is make them mad and they slow down, <laughs> which really makes you mad. Do you have any other tips for what people should do on the roads if they like spot someone who's not following traffic laws or maybe you see someone who's swerving around, they seem like an impaired driver in some way? Like, What should other drivers do when they notice that? Yeah, so um, in Ohio, we do have the ability that you can um, dial pound 677 to report an impaired driver, but I will say you should only do that if you're a passenger. If you're a driver, you just need to focus on driving and give them space. Get as far away from them as you can. If you really feel they're being super dangerous, uh, pull off, make a call. Call 911, dial pound 677. Um, you know, try to observe as much information as you can about that vehicle. Even if you get a partial license plate number that you can remember, make model, direction it's traveling, um, all that kind of stuff is good. Um, I think one of the biggest things we can do, though, is to encourage others to make safe choices, right? It's never uncool to care about somebody else. So if you were to say to somebody who, you know, can you put your phone down or let me be, let me be your wingman or, hey, don't forget to put your seatbelt on. I'm putting mine on. All those kinds of things. You know, I care. You can choose to do it. You cannot choose to do it. I wish you would. It's the safest thing to do. Mm -hmm. I think if we got more people speaking up, because let's face it. 90-something percent of you all put your seatbelts on in the front seat. The majority of people are not texting and driving. It's the ones who are that are a challenge. So what if we showed them the right way? What if we encouraged them to do 
the right way, to be the safest. Let's not be an enabler and enable their unsafe choices to be on their phone, to eat their French fries while driving. I mean, greasy fingers and <laughs> the steering wheel is not a good combination, right? Again, eyes on the road, hands on the wheel, mind on driving. That's what it should be at all times for all drivers. And especially important for parents to model that for their young people to encourage them to be as safe as possible. And I've definitely been in the car where that those situations have arisen and it's like, hey, why don't like why don't you let me do the GPS? Or yep. maybe I'll like text them back or something. Maybe we'll just I mean, you know what, maybe I'll do the music instead of you and something like that. That's great. So, That's an empowered passenger. Right. But there are just like so many situations where like just a really small thing might come up. The other thing I will say, I do want to add on, is that if you're ever in a situation and you see someone who is impaired and about to get behind the wheel. Do what you can to get their keys away from them or to not let them get their keys. I promise you, although you could, you know, get great anger from your parents, they would much rather get a phone call from you that you're in an unsafe situation or that you've had too much to drink or whatever, than they would rather have an officer come to their door to say, we've had to scoop your child up from the roadway. And they're no longer with us. I pr- I promise you, as angry as a parent might be, they would much rather get a call from you. Yeah. I think a lot of new cars now, too, they have like the big touch screens, mm-hmm. which I'm a little concerned about because I feel like that's just... It's an another invitation. form of distraction. Right. Just to mm-hmm. be looking at it. Even if you're just, I don't know, if you just have the map up on there or like something. But if it's like connected to your phone and you can get texts on there or you can call people and you can fiddle with the music, it's just, it feels like now you have a big iPad right next yeah. to you while you're driving. Yeah. Just because we have these great technology advances doesn't necessarily make them safe. Right? Right. They're not necessarily there to make you safe. A seatbelt was put in a vehicle to keep you safe. Airbags, part of safety. You know, there are a lot of people that think that airbags are there and that's going to absolutely keep you the safest. But the airbags were designed on the assumption that you were using your seatbelt. Airbags are not soft pillows. Mm -hmm. And if you're in a crash and you're thrown through the windshield, the airbag's not going to do you a bit of good. Because... I want to say the number is 70%, 70 of people, 70% of people that are fully ejected from a vehicle do not survive the crash. Wow. How do you keep from being fully ejected? Seatbelt. The seatbelt, right? right? Yeah, I'll beat you over the head with that one. Seatbelts. Look, I'm here because my seatbelt has saved my life. I'm here talking to young people because I was not a great driver and I wish I'd have, and I had great instruction from my father. He was incredible, but I was still young and foolish and made some dumb decisions myself. But thankfully, the one thing he instilled in me deeper than anything else was the use of my Mm seatbelt and my seatbelt saved my life. So why did you join SAD? And like, you know, this is like you're something you're very passionate about and something you're very driven to make sure that young people are safe in cars. Like what has driven you to do, like do this incredible work? I think it's the way I was created. I was created to help other people and care about other people. 
I, I really have a passion for this, I think, because of my past experiences and knowing. Mm-hmm. I think it's a lot of things in my life. Um, but I also think it's a way for me to help young people. My husband and I were never privileged enough to have children of our own, even though we tried everything possible. And for me, I think this is a way that I can have an impact on young people that I was not afforded to be a parent and do. So that's part of it for me. Beautiful. It's yeah. incredible, yeah. And you definitely have helped a lot of young people I know, just like from things you talk about. And I know you've definitely like changed my perspective on things. I think just like the perspective and knowledge, like com- before coming into it, like obviously I agree with Laurel that I knew things were bad and I knew certain like, oh, distracting getting on your phone, but like really listening to someone who actually knows what they're talking about, the real laws is like a perspective like that I'm glad to have now before getting my real license. And I think the really our main purpose of having you here is just to get this message out to as many people because it's really important and impacted me already. And I think if more people hear it and just like through our podcast, you know, I think that's just incredible to change parents and teens perspective. I love that. Well, I applaud you all for doing this, for wanting to get these messages out to people because it's important. It really is important. So um, kudos to you all for doing this and and to share these important messages with people. Thanks for having me. Of course. We enjoyed talking to you. I'm (laughs) definitely going to be a better driver now, I feel like. I hope so. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's just so important to, like, talk about it and not necessarily just make the assumption that everyone is safe to drive, everyone is, you know, good to go on the road as soon as they turn 16. But just having that conversation where we kind of interrupt the cycle of assuming that, Mm -hmm. you know, driving is like this American tradition, like this coming of age and you just have all this independence and kind of just slowing down and just taking a look at at what actually are the risks of driving and not Mm -hmm. necessarily accepting the narrative that you have to be driving. Yeah. No, I love that. Well, thank you for being here today. You're welcome. Thank you so much for getting to teach not only us, but to get to teach everyone else, like just the importance of safe driving and the impact they can really make, you know, with that. So thank you so much. Absolutely. My pleasure. It was such a nice conversation, like just nice to have a conversation with you about this kind of thing. I think people just need to open the conversation up more and especially like parents to kids and talk about driving before and just all this stuff, like just have these conversations with each other to set these boundaries and everything. Yeah. Thank you so much. You're welcome. All right. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Backrooms Pod. We hope you guys all learned something and enjoy this very special feature. So stay tuned for next week and next Wednesday when we release our next episode. Thank you so much. And from the Backrooms Podcast, I'm Laurel. And I'm Nishka. Always remember to close the back door.